This episode of Literary Treks is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for your desktop or mobile device. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. Also, help us keep Star Trek discussion coming to you each day by becoming a Trek FM patron through Patreon. Get access to exclusive content and become part of the team. You'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm. Hey everyone, I'm Rod Roddenberry, and you're listening to Trek FM. these books i thought i'd take some light reading in case i got bored welcome everyone to literary tracks we are the books and comics podcast here on trek fm and i'm one of your hosts bruce gibson so thank you for joining us but of course i can't do this alone i have to do it with the wonderful magnificent dan gunther hello how's it going today bruce it's going actually pretty good. I just had a margarita. Nice. Excellent. <laughs> Are, were you celebrating the release of a certain trailer? Uh, that wasn't why I had it, but I definitely am celebrating the release of a certain trailer called Star Trek Discovery. Excellent. Well, I'm actually not the only co-host on this episode today, so I would like to take the chance to introduce the wonderful Amy Nelson to the show. Hello, and thank you so much for having me on Literary Treks. I'm so happy to be here. We love having you. I, where, where did you well, come from? Well, <laughs> I am a host on Trek FM's dedicated podcast to the next generation, Earl Grey. And uh, we, I've met Bruce uh, last year at, what was it? The uh, oh, it was the, fan um, event. It was the fan event at Paramount. Yes. Uh, for Star yes. Trek Beyond. And that was exactly a year ago. It was, yeah, pretty close. Oh, wow. It was. It was in May of it 2016. Was, yes. And so ever since then, Bruce is like, we've got to get you on. And so I said, well, I like Next Generation. And so here I am. Yes, Excellent. because the feature on this episode is Q Squared by Peter David. Yes, a Next Generation novel. So I'm really looking forward to talking about that. Excellent. And we're all really <laughs> stoked because we just saw the trailer. Did we mention that before? We saw <laughs> yes, the trailer. We did. I think everyone's going to figure out which day we record these episodes yes. on. Yeah? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Unless another trailer comes Ooh. out. Oh, oh, never know. <laughs> that would be cool. I doubt it, but we'll see. Well, anyway, let's go ahead and go into the news into the news because you know, my head's still reeling because of the trailer, so I need to focus on some other things. So, uh, let's see. Free Comic Book Day. That was a couple weeks ago here, uh, the first Saturday of May. And do you know, I don't know how long they've been doing Free Comic Book Day. It's been at least 10, maybe 15 years, somewhere around that time. But they've never done a Star Trek comic for Free Comic Book Day. Did not know that. Hence why I've I've never been to Free Comic Book Day until this year. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. 
Yes. It took Star so, Trek to get me out there. <laughs> that's why they did it, just for you, Dan, Excellent. to get you out there finally. Did you buy anything while you were there? I did, but that's actually just because I have a standing order with the comic book store for the Eagle Moss Star Trek ships that come out. So, <laughs> uh, But I picked those up good. while I was there. So. Well, the comic that came out is Star Trek The Next Generation, Mirror Broken. And this is a Mirror Universe story. And this is kicking off the new miniseries of Mirror Broken comics that are coming out. I think there's going to be six something. Oh, I should look that up. Do you know, Dan? Oh, shoot. How many comics I, are I didn't out? know we'd I have don't... to study. <laughs> no, I, actually, I'm I, not I, sure. I forgot, I, I forgot to look that up myself. But uh... Well, this is a, a short issue. This mm-hmm. is just kind of like a little preview. It's it's not what's in issues one and what follows. This is like a its own story, kind of a, a prequel, a little prologue to the series. And uh, it's about half a comic long. Mm-hmm. But it's it's they basically call it like a, a an issue zero. So the three of us have the free comic because it was free and it's Star Trek. <laughs> <laughs> no, we would have paid for it too. Oh, for sure. For sure, because we pay for all the others. <laughs> So it's interesting because it's a Barkley story in the Mirror Universe. Yeah. And it's something I know Amy's been wanting all her life is a Barkley Mirror Universe. I know. <laughs> now I can die happily because I have read this comic. <laughs> but Amy, this is just a little more interesting than you reading a comic. You have never read a comic. That is correct. correct. So when you say they've been doing free comic book day, I had no idea this was so huge. And I was a little intimidated because I know you have to read comic books a little differently than just regular books. So I was pretty nervous and uh, I did call up the comic book store next to in my neighborhood. And they're like, oh, no, it was too late. They were all gone. Uh, so I was a little disappointed, and then you said you were going to talk about it on the show, and I was like, oh, well, I, I didn't get a copy of it, um, but I did end up with a copy, and so I have read it, but again, a little nervous, so I had it at school with me. I'm a school teacher, and so in my classes, I'm like, all right, who reads comic books? And the kids, a couple of them raised their hand. I said, all right, come gather around. And I had my copy and I said, okay, teach me how to read a comic book. So they did. So the students are teaching the teacher. (laughs) Excellent. Something... Now, how did they teach you? What, what's the advice? How do you read a comic book? According okay, to these so students? I told them what I knew. I said, well, I know you have to read the pictures. Is there something I need to read with the pictures that I'm not seeing? They're like, no, no, just look at the pictures. And I said, okay. So then I opened it to a couple of the pages and they said, okay, you read top to bottom, left to right. That's very important is the order. And so I was opening up and I said, okay, so, and they said, and you go frame by frame, top to bottom, left to right. And even if there's the word bubbles, you know, you just don't, you have to go in that order. So if the word bubbles are in a weird position, still read top to bottom, left to right. So I was, okay, I can do that. And and then another one was like, well, notice that where some of, as you're reading the bubbles, Like, that's when your eye takes in that scenery. So the bubble and the scenery sort of go together. I thought, okay, that's good to know. And then they also pointed out, which I had no idea, it depends on the type of bubble that 
describes either like a narration. So like the narrator is the boxed words. And so right. that is just your narrator voice. And and in this case, Barkley is the narrator. Yes. And sort of like his thoughts. So you're in his mind like that. But it's not what yes. him speaking. It's just him narrating the story. And then there's your standard speaking bubble, which we all know. But then there was another type of bubble that was like it was oval, but had spikes in it. Do you, you know what I'm talking to? Is there a spe special name for that? Uh, spiky yeah, bubble? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> and so I opened the page to that and I said, well, look at this one. How come this, this bubble isn't oval like the others? You know, as a math teacher, I recognize those things. And um, <laughs> they pointed to it and they said, well, that's like if someone's speaking on a screen or and then, and then I noticed, oh, that's coming from like the intercom system. You know, so that's that's mm -hmm. that. And they said, oh, yeah, look, here's the guy on the monitor talking. And so that's a different type of bubble. And so, uh, oh, and then they taught me a word, which I had heard before, but not really in context. The kaboom and the thooms, those are, do you know the word? <laughs> Onomatopoeia. Yeah. And I was like, <laughs> oh my gosh, now I know what that is. And it really connected because awesome. I'd heard that word before. <laughs> and now I have context with it because I have this comic book. So um, that's their advice to me. How did they do? Very good. I Yeah, I'm impressed. It, I wish they would have taught me how to read comic books. That's pretty good. Yeah, as a as a as someone who's been an English teacher in the past, I'm I'm very impressed. That's that's excellent. They did a really good job. Yeah, there. they did. Okay, now I'm intimidated. We've got an English teacher and a math teacher here. I am not a teacher. Okay. <laughs> Well, I, at least I learned something. Uh, actually, I mean, that no, that was really good because there is, I, I don't really think about because I've been reading comics for so long that I don't really think about there's a certain way you have to read it. I guess for a first time to look in a comic and you see all these bubbles, it's like, well, what, which one do I read first in the panel? You, you don't really know. But yeah, once you, once you start doing it, you get the flow and you get the idea of how it, it goes, how you go through it, just like they explained to you. So I, I want to thank your students mm -hmm. because we couldn't have this show if they didn't help you. You would have come on here and been really Yeah. Confused. So <laughs> if any listeners out there, probably not since they're listening to this literary Trek uh, uh, podcast, if you haven't read a comic book, I would recommend it. I uh, enjoyed it quite a bit, actually. So what did you like about this issue? Considering you are a big next generation. Yeah. Fan. So mm -hmm. we'll put the story aside for a minute, but um, I really did like the different interpretation. Obviously the um, person who's doing the pictures, is that what you call them? I don't know. Um, they have, yeah, the, the artists, artist? they have their own interpretation. And like, sometimes I was like, who is that person? Sometimes I didn't recognize them, so it was a little odd, and I had to, like, really study. And, like, their perspectives are definitely different than what you would see on a TV or a movie. Like, the one where Barclay's, like, you can see his reflection in the engineering pad, I really, or the engineering 
console. Like those perspectives, I was like every single frame had this different perspective. And so it really kept the motion of the story moving. And I, I found that interesting, actually. So, Yeah, that's one thing comics can do really well is really add a dynamism to the story. You know, like I love novels. I love reading. But I love it when a comic does something different to make the story just kind of presented in a different way. And, you know, an, a writer and an artist that can use that medium really well is is really refreshing. It really makes it a lot of fun to read. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, J.K. Woodward is the uh, artist uh, for this comic. And David and Scott Tipton are the writers. And they do typically write a lot of these Star Trek uh, comics that are out there. But... Um, but for the story overall, I, I mean, I thought it was interesting that uh, Barkley was the central character. I don't think he is going forward mm -hmm. uh, in the regular issues. He'll be the central character. But he kind of sets up the story and, and sets up the fact that this is a different universe. And obviously, this is the Mirror universe. And he's not the shy, bumbling guy in the background like oh i don't know what to do he actually is pretty ruthless i mean not not at first but he does something pretty ruthless later on what did mm -hmm. you guys think of barkley's character i thought it was really interesting because you know like you say it, it's juxtaposed with how we know him in the i guess prime universe we're calling it but you know, in this mirror universe he's very different very cunning very underhanded and also, I just have to say, using a character like Barkley to kind of reintroduce you to that world, it's a really good way to get the reader to kind of see it through his eyes and experience that world from his perspective rather than kind of a top-down story. It's kind of a lower decks version of the Mirror Universe. I, I really appreciated that. Yeah, I agree because we're, I mean, yeah, people like Barkley, but we're not as invested. Had this been told from, you know, a main character like Data, Picard, Riker, like we would have been totally invested and we would have automatically seen it from that, like you said, top down view. So we're getting, yeah, this Barclay perspective. And so we get to sort of see all the different areas, but not from that uh, top down view. I think Barclay was very cunning and he is n just nasty. I mean, his thoughts and what he was thinking about like, ooh, that stupid Picard and oh, Tasha Yar and like his thoughts all through it. It's like, yeah, that juxtaposition between how we know him and what we're reading, like it, I had to read some of his narrations a couple times because I'm like, is this really Barkley? I mean, it just, it throws your mind for such a loop. And I'm like, okay, this is the mirror uni universe and this is what they're setting up. And they did a really good job, I think, with starting with Barkley. Yeah, that's true. It, it, his thoughts really were very cunning. I think his actions and what he was saying to other people weren't as much in the upfront, but his thoughts definitely were there. It's like it was building up to the moment that we see later, later on in the comic. And then even Tasha Yar is in this and she gut punches Barkley right in the stomach. Yeah, there for no and, reason. I was and, like, what is going on? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Welcome to the mirror universe, right? <laughs> Everybody just beats up on each other. Yeah. And so what this does is it's like you see that what a person does and says versus what a person thinks 
can be completely different. Mm -hmm. That duplicity of characters really adds a complexity that I like, actually. Yeah, definitely. And uh, I, I do have to make a quick comment on Tasha Yar. I love that she's kind of wearing that yesterday's Enterprise hairstyle that she had going on there, which we'll encounter again in the same episode later. So it's kind of a neat yeah, thing that was, tying together. Yeah, it was weird to read Q Squared and this comic because <laughs> I was thinking we're never in our own universe for very long. We're, we're all in these different multi-universes. Um, one thing I really liked about this comic was Data and how Data mm. in, in the Prime Universe is always going to be human. Well, here Data is experimenting with i mean like i guess body parts but they look more like borg Mm -hmm. like even on the cover he's got a borg eye but he doesn't have it in the story which makes me wonder if he's borgifying himself when we get through the other well yeah Mm because you see that page with these parts hanging down you know and so it's like where is he going with this what's yeah how far is he gonna go yeah, it's like our data, our data, um, the prime universe data wants to be like a more perfect human. And it seems like this data wants to be the perfect machine, you know, and I, I don't know. That's kind of the impression I got anyway. It was really interesting. Well, I don't know if he wants to be the perfect machine. I think it is he wants to be perfect, but that perfection idea has changed so that humanity mm. isn't the perfection, that there is something beyond humanity there. Right, that makes sense, yeah. Well, the story ends, and we're going to give a little spoiler here. So if you, you know, if you didn't get the comic on free comic book day, then you probably can't get it now anyway, so you might as well hear what happened. But uh, Picard recognizes Yar for uh, destroying these slave ships where these Vulcan slaves were on, and there was a revolt on two of them, and she destroyed those ships. And so Picard's giving her acknowledgement in front of the crew, giving her an award, but really, we find out later, Picard was setting things up to allow Barkley to stab Ta- Tasha with a knife in the back and kill her. Barkley kills Tasha Yar. Yep. Poor <laughs> Tasha. Just can't live a life, oh. can she? Yep. Just always destined to just have it cut short, it seems. <laughs> you have to make the universe right. So if she died in the other universes, she has to die in this one. Oh, which reminds me, that's. It has a play in Q Square too. We'll talk about that later. <laughs> <laughs> this year on Literary Treks actually seems to be the year of alternate universes. We've done so many mirror universe and different universe stories. It's kind of crazy. Well, any other thoughts about the comic before we move on to something else? Well, I did want to say that uh, I do love the artwork in this. We talked a little bit about it, but that kind of painted watercolor style, I think, looks really neat. It's very visually interesting. And I I really appreciated a lot of the artistic choices in the story. I liked um, as a first comer, a newbie to reading the comics, that in the end, they had a little write up that really solidified what I had just read and sort of gave their purpose as to what they were doing and like why they started with Barclay and that that last page in the book was just really, really good and sort of just clarified some of the points that I had. So I appreciated that. Do all comic books do that? I wouldn't say every comic story does it, but a lot of them do. Like if there's kind of a special 
you know, series they're doing. Sometimes there'll be the thoughts of the the author and that sort of thing. And then a lot of times you'll get like kind of like we got here, like the preliminary sketches and that kind of oh, thing. Oh, yeah. Um, not not for every story for sure, but you do see that crop up from time so to time. So because this one was starting a brand new series, I guess you would say that that's sort of why they did that. Yeah, that happens a lot. Oh, well. Kind of at the beginning or or sometimes the end of a long series. Kind oh, of thing. yeah. I really appreciated that. And that's really what made the story go aha for me reading all those words <laughs> yeah there i I always love those as well because it's it's nice to get a bit of an insight into you know their thought processes and exactly stuff. yeah what were they thinking and then what actually transpired yeah well this book was very popular about a hundred thousand copies were given out they were they're all gone so you can't walk into a comic book store unless somebody has one hidden in the back but they're they're gone and there's as far as I know at this point, there's still not a digital copy. Mm-hmm. Maybe we'll see one sometime later. But again, it's a short story. It's not necessary to read it if you want to read the rest of the regular series, which reminds me, episode, not episode, but issue number one of Broken Mirror was released on May 17th, and we'll review that on our next episode of Literary Treks. But also on our next episode, we're going to review the last issue of the Star Trek Green Lantern series, the number six issue. And so that's coming up on our next episode, episode 191. And that comic was released on May 10th. So if you haven't gotten that comic, it's out there right now. And Broken Mirror number one's out there now. So go get them, read them, and we're discussing on the next episode. Excellent. End of a series. Really excited for that one. (laughs) And it's a good series so far. So I'm assuming the last issue is going to be good too. Oh, yeah. So now we have a book coming out this fall, and it is The Art of Juan Ortez, and it he did uh, artwork, uh, poster artwork collection for the original series. Well, now he has artwork done for The Next Generation, and this book will feature 178 posters of The Next Generation that he created. And so this is going to be priced at $49.95, and again, just focused on The Next Generation, 208 pages in the book and supposed to come out in early September to coincide with the 30th anniversary of the next generation. So this looks like something that I I didn't get the first book. So I need to go find the original series book. Dan, are you familiar with it? Uh, I am familiar with a lot of his art. I didn't get the first book myself either, but that art has shown up in a lot of different places. I mean, you can get t-shirts and mugs with all of his posters for the various episodes and actually, I picked up the uh, 50th anniversary Star Trek Blu-ray set the, with the original series, the animated series, and the movies. And that set features a lot of his artwork in it as well. There's cards in there with, with various pieces of his artwork. And uh, I think there's a poster he did for each movie. And it, it's, it's everywhere. I mean, and it's really, really interesting. Kind of minimalist, but really cool designs and just gorgeous art so this should be pretty cool yeah i haven't seen any previews of it yet but everyone just keep an eye out on star trek.com for more information but if anybody's going to san diego comic-con there's going to be limited edition version there that you can pick up so that's pretty special so take a look out for that and this is by titan books so check their website too to do a pre-order of the book and speaking of books because that's what we do on literary treks is we talk about books. And guess what? We are traveling to the Klingon Empire. 
Yes, ladies and gentlemen, last year we took a trip to Vulcan and we had our handy travel guide to take us there. Well, now you have a travel guide, I guess, to go to Kronos and throughout the empire because coming, when is this coming? I don't, uh, July 11th, right? Yeah, that's right. This one's coming out July 11th. And yeah, anytime you take a trip somewhere, the first thing you do, you know, if you're a neurotic traveler like me is you buy the guidebook. So, you know, Hidden Universe travel guides are putting out, just like you said, we had the Vulcan guide last year. We get the Klingon Empire guide this year. This one's written by Dayton Ward again. I loved the Vulcan travel guide and, uh, He's written, he's written this one again, and just I, I'm really looking forward to it because that Vulcan guide had so many really cool little Easter eggs and fun little bits in it for Trekkies to pick apart like me, and uh, this one is sure to be the same. So yeah, keep your eyes out for this one. And we just got kind of a release of new cover art for it, so a brand new poster cover art style thing for the cover and uh, it's gorgeous it's really cool so keep your eyes out for that one so amy what do you think of the cover yeah i am it's very i love it i didn't even know this existed i guess i (laughs) i but it sounds so intriguing i definitely want to pick this up and the vulcan one i love it it's sort of medieval-ish more so than i would have thought but it's great. Yeah. Yeah, it does have that me- medieval look on the on the cover. Um but it does look like a travel guide. Yeah, it, it does. Mm. And the inside, I mean, since since you haven't seen these before, they're great. I mean, if you've ever opened a real travel guide, you know, you've got the little like restaurants to look out for, and yes. places you should visit and uh like the Vulcan guide was great. There's there's sections like you know, what to do if you unexpectedly find yourself a host to a dying Vulcan's Katra, <laughs> you know, travel tips like that, that are really important if you're traveling to Vulcans. So I'm sure, you know, the Klingon one, there'll be like, what if you end up in a bat left battle to the death or something? What should you do? Great stuff. So, yeah, one of my favorites is there's a hotel that if you're going through Pond Far where the furniture is unbreakable. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> So yeah, that's that Vulcan travel guide was my nighttime reading. Like right before I'd go to bed, I'd read like a couple pages and laugh and then fall asleep. And then I'd do it again the next night. <laughs> I actually uh, picked mine up at shore leave last year. So I was reading it on the plane <laughs> flying back from shore leave. So I was kept wondering if I was turning anybody's heads. Like, where's the, where is this flight going? What? <laughs> <laughs> Yes, going into outer space, Dan. That's where you were going on that flight. Oh, in my head I was, for sure. So in today's feature, we are doing the next generation novel, Q Squared, by Peter David. And this novel came out as a hardcover in 1994 in July, that summer of 94. And there was a lot of Peter David novels around that 90s time. And I used to love reading Peter's work. I mean, I still love reading it. He doesn't do much Star Trek like he used to. But this book, it's been a long time since I've heard it. My original time reading, not not reading, but my original experience with this was an audio cassette tape, and it was abridged. So, well, it was, yeah, it was abridged, so I didn't get to hear the full story. This time, I actually read the whole book, and now we're ready to talk about it. 
So, Dan, you've read this book several times. Is that right? I have. This, I, I would say, is probably the book that first got me into reading Star Trek novels. I think I got it as a gift from my aunt and uncle uh, when I was a kid. And I loved it. I, I read it pretty quickly, I remember, as a kid. And then I've read it a few times over the years since then. Uh, but this was my first time reading it in a while, probably about a decade. And, uh, man... Boy, did this book ever bring back a lot of memories. I love this book. When I first read it, I had no idea who Peter David was, just that I loved this book. Wow. What kind of memories did it bring back for you, Dan? Uh, <laughs> you were in high school, you said? I was mostly sitting on the floor in my room reading the book. That's, that's what I remembered. <laughs> Thinking about, maybe I'll date a girl someday. <laughs> yeah, that sounds about right. <laughs> Every Star Trek fan's dream. <laughs> <laughs> and Amy, this is your first time reading Yes, it is. And um, while talking about gifts, when I ordered this book um, just through Amazon, I actually got sent two copies. So I would like to send one of my copies to a listener so if on the Babel conference, you, uh, after listening to this, mention it, then um, I would be happy to send you uh, the extra copy of Q squared that I have. Wow. Very cool. That's awesome. She comes with yes, prizes. Yes. You should have me on more often. <laughs> so now, the, is it the first person that posts something about it on the Babel conference? Is that how that yeah, works? Yeah. I, I would say if they say, okay. I want Q squared, then uh, I will be looking for your post on the Babel conference and I'll get in touch with you. Very You know, cool. this is a real test to see if anybody listens exactly, to the show. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> awesome. I, I think our listeners are going to want us to bring Amy on more often for <laughs> sure, because I, I think it took bringing you on for us to do a giveaway. <laughs> Rate us on iTunes, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I have to check iTunes out to see if we've had any new ratings. So, well, okay, the unique thing about this book is, as I mentioned, it's the next generation. So it features our crew on the Enterprise D, and it's a Q book, obviously Q squared. But the interesting part about the book, it's not just about Q. Do you remember Trelane from the original series? The episode, The Squire of Gothos. <laughs> he was played by William J. Campbell, a.k.a. Koloth. He also played Koloth the Klingon, if you remember him, especially from The Trouble of Tribbles. But Trelane's character in the original series is very similar to what we got later with Q. And he may have been some of the inspiration behind the Q character. So this novel puts the idea in front of us that Trelane is part of the Q continuum. Now, that was never established in the original series. Mm -hmm. Q, the Q continuum didn't exist at that time to the writers and, and production and whatever. So let me ask you guys, what are your thoughts about Trelane being a Q? Does that make sense or would you have rather him be some other entity? What did you think of that? Well, I think this <laughs> this gets into that deep debate about you know, books versus canon and all that kind of stuff. And as a longtime reader of the books, you know, I love the books and I can enjoy them without them necessarily following canon strictly. Because at this time, you know, 
this kind of worked. But of course, with what we learn about the Q later and that no Q has had a child and however long and children are unknown, it, of course, it doesn't work because of what we learn in Voyager. But that's OK, because this book, I think, is really good. And, uh, you know, if a story doesn't have to fit the canon of the rest of the of Star Trek for me to enjoy it. So I'm OK with it in the context of this story. But outside of this story, I don't really think of Trillane as being part of the Q continuum. He's kind of his own thing. The, his species, his mother and father and, and him were something else, something similar, but not quite Q, if that makes sense. Yeah. So, Amy, did you ever watch that episode of the original series? Well, uh, if you listen to me on Earl Grey, you know I'm not the most knowledgeable on the original That's series. <laughs> That's why I asked. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> um, okay, so I have watched all of the original series, but I'll tell you, they just don't stick in my head. So um, when I was reading that part with Trelane and the Kirk, and I was, it just washed right over me, and I was like, well, I'll get back to Picard soon enough. So it was neither here nor there for me, and uh, listeners don't hate me. Don't don't send me any tweets or anything. Um, so it don't yes. Me. <laughs> so yeah, it just it did for me what it did was a touchstone, like a touch point for the original series, which I thought, well, I'm sure someone's reading more into it. So for me, it just was like, oh, there was some Q person in the original series and I've missed it. So move on. That's sort of how I took it. That's interesting because, you know, Dan and I are reading this from the perspective of being familiar with the Trelane character from the original series and mm -hmm. looking at this like, oh, could he be part of the Q? Does this make sense? And, I, and for you, it's just like a new original character that's just introduced in the Q continuum. Yeah, in the I story. mean, I took it at face value. Hmm. Yes, Trelane is Q, we were told, and I'm fine with that. Cool. I, for myself, I have to say, I think Squire of Gothos, oddly enough, might be one of the first original series episodes I saw too as a kid. Like I, I distinctly remember being really young and watching the Squire of Gothos and just loving that episode. And uh, that's one thing I do have to say is Peter David really captures his voice really well in this. So I, I don't think it's necessarily a detriment that, you know, you don't remember this episode or, or don't, you know, recall seeing it because I think his voice is captured so perfectly. And I don't know if that's because I'm familiar with the character and I'm kind of putting that on it or, you know, but I, th I think Peter David did a really good job of, of bringing that character to the page. Yeah, and if even, yeah, the book still reads wonderfully, and I don't think that you miss anything, in my opinion, because I wouldn't know, right? Ignorance is bliss. <laughs> um, but the book still is fabulous. I don't think, you know, I missed any of the story points um, from not knowing. I So, yeah, read it, even if you aren't familiar with it. Well, Dan, you were mentioning about it not being necessarily canon, and that's true. Uh, none of the books are canon. None of the comics are canon. Uh, just what you see on screen is canon. Of course, there's always been debate if the animated series is canon or not. But definitely the live action movies and TV shows are canon. But what I enjoy about reading the books is giving a different perspective. So when I read a book, sometimes I'll go back and watch an episode that's referring to. And in this case, I did watch uh, the Squire of 
of Gothos the other night after I read the book and I was watching it with the thought of, okay, he is cute. Does this work? And mm-hmm. it worked for me. It was kind of cool to think, you know, oh, this was a, an early time of meeting Q, but not knowing he's really Q and he's a child of Q or something to that effect. So, mm-hmm. um, I, I thought it works. I, I think it works. I mean, definitely it doesn't have to fit that way, but it, it can work. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of similarities there. I do have to say in my mind when I was reading every time Trelane made somebody or something disappear or popped in and popped out, it wasn't with a Q flash. It was, he just disappeared and there was that sound or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> what was the sound again? <laughs> I don't know. Something that is like that. very good. My goodness. I know. I'm impressed. That's why I had to ask for it again. It's like, can he repeat this great quality? <laughs> I don't even know if that's close, but anyway. No, it really was good, seriously. Oh, well, thank you. <laughs> this, in a lot of ways, is also a love story. It's not just about Trelane being a Q. So we have Trelane and and Q in the story. So I really like their their interplay and their interaction. But then we have a love story going on. And so we have different universes throughout this book. And so that can be a bit confusing, which we'll talk a little bit later about. But in this one alternate universe, we have, well, first of all, they start referring to Crusher. And mm-hmm. I'm thinking of Beverly Crusher. Oh, yeah. I had to read that first few chapters twice because I'm like, what is going on? Because, you know, I'm just so familiar with Crusher, Dr. Beverly Crusher. And then it was like, what? So, yeah, that was a very cold open, if you will. And this is one of the things that I distinctly remembered reading from when I was a kid. So uh, probably for the first time ever reading this book, I started on that page and I was like, oh, yeah, I remember. Yeah. <laughs> So it's kind of cool, but yeah, no, I can, I, I, I had that thought while I was reading, like, man, how confused would I have been the first time I was reading this? <laughs> yeah. Cause I re- I'm reading this and I, I, I didn't remember cause it's been so long and Picard's talking to Crusher about this. I can't remember who it was, but a woman that Crusher dated. And I said, oh, okay, well, I know this is an alternate universe. So I guess Beverly Crusher is lesbian in this universe. But then as we get through the story, we realize, oh, no, it's not Beverly Crusher he's talking to. It's Jack Crusher, her late husband. Well, in the Prime Universe, it's her late husband, but he's alive in this one. And Jack Crusher is the captain of the Enterprise, and Picard is his first officer. And now he's just her (laughs) ex-husband. Yeah, and that threw me for a loop, too, because I'm reading, you know, and I see Picard, and so I'm assuming Captain, and then I'm like, wait, he what? how come he's not in that authority authoritarian position? You know, you can tell from the reading that he's not Captain, and so I'm like, again, I had to reread going, what is going on? It was fun. Yeah, and so we find out that, yeah, Jack and Beverly – were married, but now they're divorced. But Beverly is now being assigned to the Enterprise. She's joining the ship, and Jack is freaking out because she's going to be on the ship. This is going to be really weird. I still have feelings for her, and I, I don't know what to do. And here comes Dr. Beverly Howard to the ship. But you know what? She doesn't have those feelings for Jack. Oh, no, 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 no. 
<laughs> she has feelings for Jean-Luc Picard. Scandal. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. And these are the days of our cues. <laughs> so, or as the cue turns. There you go. I love you it. Yes. <laughs> So what'd you guys think of this triangle, the initial setup of Beverly with Picard and then there's Jack Crusher there? I thought it was a, a really interesting dynamic. I feel like the fights between Peter David and the the licensing people are kind of legendary. And I wondered, you know, presenting Captain Picard as someone who is sleeping with his best friend's ex-wife, you know, maybe not the worst thing in the world, but, you know, still is a little bit of a kind of tarnish on his sterling character. I, I kind of wondered if maybe there was a little bit of, bit of an issue there because we always think of, of these characters as so upstanding and morally um, just and that sort of thing. So I, I always kind of wondered if there was, you know, that feeling of a little bit of a tarnishing of the reputation. And maybe it's an alternate universe that makes it a little better. I don't know. But it was definitely an interesting dynamic. And uh, it really took the story in some interesting directions, for sure. Well, I'm sorry not to harp on about the comic book, but that was sort of the same thing I was reading with Mirror Broken. It was like, yeah, you're used to these upstanding characters and then you have these thoughts and conniving and deceitfulness going on. So sort of the the similar what you're saying, like, yeah, I really enjoyed the interplay and especially going back and forth between, you know, this track A versus track B and you know, and trying to keep that relationship with contained within that timeline compared to the one that we know, the prime, you know, where there are no feelings and, and you know, it is Captain and, and Dr. Beverly. But in that one, I just think it, it worked out so well. And, you know, you always like to see them because they hint at it so much in the series. So to, to see it and to read it, it, was a little completing. I, I liked it a lot. <laughs> so you like seeing Beverly and Jean-Luc together. Yeah, and to hear their conversations, you know, discussing their relationship, you know, well, it's like, well, yeah, here's Jack Crusher. What are we going to do? Oh, we're, you know, main uh, commanding officers on the same ship. How is that going to work? So they delve into all the complexities you know, and discuss that. I I found that interesting too. Well, in the series, we never really get Picard and Beverly together, you know, not at least seriously together. And in the novels that take place uh, post-Nemesis, your favorite movie, Amy, <laughs> <laughs> post-Nemesis, they actually get married. So I thought it was interesting in this book, which was written in 94, that we're actually are putting Picard and Beverly Crusher or Beverly Howard in this case together uh, as a couple. And, and it almost seemed right to me because I'm used to now thinking them being together from the later novels that, that came out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It just it, at this point, it kind of feels like a natural fit because like you say, we're so used to them, you know, they have a son together kind of thing. And so, yeah, it's, it's nice to see here for sure. <laughs> And, you know, Peter David's always been one of my favorite Star Trek authors. And rereading some of his books lately, I'm really pick up on the fact that he always has people 
at some point get going to bed together <laughs> in every book. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I don't know what a, that says about him. <laughs> I, that's something that he and Christopher L. Bennett seem to have a lot in common. <laughs> well, <laughs> anyway, I have no comment to that. So <laughs> I don't even know what to say to that. But, well, you know, and, and people do that. So we just didn't do it in the TV series. Maybe we'll even see it on Discovery. You know, things are changing. I did like how he picks up, you know, Peter David, and I've read uh, some other books, but it's been too long, so don't ask me which ones. But I know when I got the book, I was like, oh, Peter David, I, I, his name was recognizable to me. But he has such a way of capturing the characters so completely, even in the different tracks. Like, I knew that was Beverly right? Whether she was Beverly Howard or, or Dr. Beverly Crusher, right? And just the nuances that he was able to pick up and, and how he describes like how she walks into a room and puts her leg up on the chair. I mean, that was just so Beverly. And throughout the whole thing with each character that he was describing, I'm like, man, he really knows these characters and encapsulates everything into the book so that you are feeling these characters and you're invested and he is a great writer. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I, I felt the same way. Actually, I was thinking that about uh, Riker in the track a story, even this, you know, battered shell shocked man, there's still that, that essence of Riker peeking through there. And yeah, each of the characters, you know, even when they're in outlandish, crazy situations and, you know, might be barely recognizable as the characters we, we love. He still has that ability to make their their core, you know, essence of what makes them who they are shine through. It's really cool. Yeah, that's one thing I've always loved about his books. You're right. Just the characters are just spot on. And they they just seem very real. You know, it's not, they're not serious all the time. There's some humor in there. There's nice interplay between them. I always, always like that. And yeah, definitely Riker. Uh, yeah, because Riker got beat up pretty bad in that one universe. He was what uh, captured by Romul was it? Yeah, Romulans, it was Romulans. Yeah. and and yeah. Cardassians, I guess. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, and he was being tortured and tested. He was basically a lab rat mm -hmm. in a lot of ways, and he was a shell of himself when he was finally reunited with Troy. Did you like that them getting reunited there, Amy, Troy and Riker together again? Well, I, it was sad because in that track where they were married, like they were never together. And then when he did come back, like he was so, you know, traumatized that even then you couldn't see the fullness of their relationship. And so, but I like the idea, obviously, of them together and they have a boy together and Oh, and we got to see Waxana come in, you know, supporting her daughter, Deanna. And so I really appreciated that relationship, even though we didn't really see them together. But I, I think what he did was like, because Troy and Riker throughout the series, right? They're on again, off again, but the support and love and trust that they have for each other is what made Riker strong and what kept her strong. And so even through them not being together and separated and, you know, she was thinking he was gone, like that was the core, like we were talking about, of their relationship that 
kept the story real. Yeah, I loved the uh, the fact that that remembering Deanna and his Imzadi was kind of the one thing that got him through all of what he went through there. Uh, you know, the idea that that bond, like you say, like on the series, they're on again, off again, but there, there's still that very strong bond there. And that, that word Imzadi, you know, really means something. And, you know, maybe Peter David's putting in a plug for his other really, really, really great TNG novel, Imzadi, that I hope we do cover someday because it's excellent. Please have me on when <laughs> oh, you should do. Should we add that Please. to the list? Yes, I love that book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that book actually came out before this book. It that did. book yes. came out in 92. So, yeah, and um, that one was, I, I don't know if it's my favorite, but for a long time it was my favorite. It's probably still in my top five or ten at least. I mean, I, I'm, with all the hundreds of novels now, it's hard to rank them. You know? <laughs> it's definitely up there. And one that I, I think more than one Star Trek author has said is the book that made them realize, oh, Star Trek novels, they're, they can be really good. I should look into writing one of these. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. And then, of course, there was a sequel, but that's a whole nother story. I read that one, too. Of okay. Two. I've never really? actually read yeah. the sequel. Huh. Triangle, yeah. yeah. But it really wasn't supposed to be a sequel. Anyway, I'll, I'll t if we do Imzadi, I'll explain it. I've heard it from Peter at Dragon Con, so I'll, hmm. I'll tell you more about that. There's drama behind that. So anyway, mm. um, <laughs> not really serious drama, but it sounds like dramatic. But... um. My only issue I had with the Troy Riker storyline was their son, Tommy. I had a hard time really visualizing and hearing him because it sounded like he was maybe what, like a, maybe an eight or 10 year old boy. But there was times the way he talked that he almost sounded like he was older. But then Riker picks him up and runs with him like a, <laughs> like he's a football. And I'm like, well, so he's got to be younger. I really had a hard time placing him. Did you guys have a problem with that? A little bit, yeah. Um, but I, I, I love like a jerk too. By the way, <laughs> yeah, that's what I was thinking when you're describing. It's like, yeah, he was immature. He was bratty. He wanted things his way, and so you're like, yeah, putting him younger because he doesn't seem to have that maturity. But then he says these wise things. Well, I knew that what that, that was my father, and I feel him, and you know, and he of course is only a fourth Betazoid, so uh, he wouldn't really have that strong of powers. And that was weird, because, like, why would he be having the dream about his father that he barely knows, while Troy, being more Betazoid and more connected with Riker, knowing him as much as she does, not have those same feelings? So I, that threw me for a little loop, but I guess it was just uh, to get Tommy to have a, a play in the book, a part. I wonder if maybe it was because they have like an actual biological connection. That's kind of where my oh. mind went was he has the little bit of Betazoid stuff, but he's also like actually biologically descended from Riker. So maybe there's a pseudoscience, wave your hand, <laughs> whatever you want to think kind of magic going on there. Okay, I, don't <laughs> I, I can I can get into that. Yeah. Good answer. I like that answer. <laughs> I'm a Star Trek fan. I can I can retcon and explain away anything. <laughs> <laughs> well, one of my favorite parts about the book was going back to Jack Crusher because he he's basically he doesn't know that Beverly and and Jean Luc are together, but Trelane makes uh, Jack 
almost like a ghost on the ship. It, it was almost like a Christmas carol. It was like, here, let me show you. Walk through this wall. And he walks through into, I th- I'm thinking it was Picard's cabin or whatever, but or quarters. But mm-hmm. And he sees them together. And it basically starts to drive him insane. But the thing I found more interesting before we get more into that was the fact that Jack is told by Trelane that he only exists in this one universe. Out of all the multi-universes, Jack Crusher no longer exists. Either he didn't exist in the universe or he, or he had already died. But in this universe, he's still alive. And the thing is, the reason he dies in all those universes is because he prevents Jean-Luc and Beverly getting together. So it's almost like destiny, the way the universe works, they have to be together so Jack Crusher must die. (laughs) And he hasn't died in this one universe. And as fate would have it, that meant that Wesley died when he was young. So Wesley died in this universe because Jack Crusher lived on. Does that make sense? <laughs> mm, yeah, basically that's that's what Trillane is presenting for sure. Um, I, I don't know. Like, I f- kind of felt at this point in the novel that, you know, maybe there's very few universes where Jack Crusher is around, but I almost got the impression that Trillane was maybe not quite being truthful with him just to push him a little closer to insanity because he's pulling all these strings and manipulating and that kind of thing. So, you know, the idea of that is for some reason, very troubling, you know, that, that like destiny has decided that you're supposed to die kind of thing. And you somehow got out of it, you know, and you're the only one kind of thing. But I, I always just from the tone, I always felt that, you know, maybe there's some truth to it, but also that Trelane's just, you know, picking and picking and picking and just pushing him closer and closer to insanity. So I, I don't know. What do you guys think of that? Well, when I was reading it, a lot of things came to mind because we do see quite a bit of episodes. And that's where I'm coming from since I haven't read all of the books. But um, like so on a Earl Grey, we just did an episode about parallels And so that got me to thinking about Jack Crusher, where in parallels, you see Worf go through all these different timelines and going through and he's existing and everyone is existing. And, you know, he's just there. And if you look at all good things, you know, there's one in the future, you know, and there's no Deanna Troy and she's not there. But, you know, there's the Picard or even in Tapestry, you know, where Picard makes the choice to. Uh, not get uh, in a fight with the The Nausicans, thank you. And, you know, and even (laughs) then with that choice, he's still living on, you know, and even in like cause and effect, uh, it got me thinking like, well, you know, Beverly Crusher, when she takes that glass and every single loop, she breaks that glass, like that's destiny. So in sort of those, putting those together, I feel like that I was just taking Trelane to say, yeah, you were meant to die. I mean, we see it like with Tashiar, even in yesterday's Enterprise, like she wasn't supposed to be there. We don't see her, uh, you know. So those are the things like it's like, oh, well, that's fate. That's destiny. And Jack Crusher, you are living here only because this is just the one every other parallel universe you do not exist. And I sort of just took that to 
be the truth. I didn't think he was doing it to push him into insanity, I guess. Well, I, I took it as truth also, but it bothered me because I know that there's probably a story that I can't think of the top of my head. There's <laughs> probably been something written where there is another Jack Crusher in another universe. And I thought, okay, well, then that will contradict. But definitely saying that, well, maybe Trelane is lying to just push Jack over the edge totally makes sense, like you were saying, Dan. But I just like the idea of out of the thousands or millions of universes out there, it would be really eerie to know that yourself doesn't exist in any of them except in one. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And oh, when he was uh, saying like Trelane was explaining, like, you know this to be true. And maybe that's what you're saying, that nitpick to getting closer to insanity. It's like. You know, don't you feel the emptiness, you know? And then that almost resonates with, yeah, this, what is this universe and where do I fit in idea? Well, it's really interesting too, and I thought this was cool. So many years later in the, in the novel, The Eternal Tide, and all kinds of spoilers for post-Voyager novels coming here. Uh, in a Peter David novel, Janeway was killed and then in a Kirsten Beyer novel later, The Eternal Tide, she was brought back to life. And in that novel, she's told something similar in every single multiverse everywhere across all of creation. She doesn't exist. She has been killed. And our universe is the only one she exists in. So I, I thought that was kind of interesting. And I actually wonder, because this is the first time I've read this book since reading The Eternal Tide, I wonder if Kirsten Beyer kind of... Uh, remembered that from Q squared maybe because it, it is something that really resonates. And like you said, Bruce, it feels very eerie. Like there's, there's something very fundamentally disturbing there that I, I think makes for a very compelling thought and a very, yeah, like, like someone walking over your grave kind of thing, like that kind of feeling. Yeah, it does. And the other thing about this was the whole destiny thing about Jack has to die for Crusher. Well, I keep saying Crusher, but I need to say Beverly because <laughs> she's Beverly Howard here. But Beverly and Jean-Luc need to be together. It's And they never mention the word destiny, but that's kind of what's implied that, you know, the universe is pushing them together and Jack needs to be removed from that. And it made me think of the J.J. Abrams movie, Star Trek 09. And it never got in the movie, but apparently they were going to address destiny in the movie as to it's destiny that Kirk and Spock and the crew are on the enterprise in every universe. And the forces are always there to bring them together. Uh, and so that made me even think of that. I, I typically don't think as of destiny as being scientific enough to be part of a Star Trek science fiction story, but maybe there are certain forces and I don't mean Star Wars force, but certain <laughs> forces in the universe that push things the way they have to go. It's just a calling of the universe. It's, it's you know, how things develop. Or it's, you know, 29th century temporal agents just, you know, doing stuff behind the scenes. There or you go. <laughs> <laughs> well, we have all these different tracks of these universes. And in this book, we're really dealing with three universes. And it's, and the way that, the chapters are divided up. You have track A, track B, track C. And that's to, supposed to help you keep on track. Huh. 
in Trek. So <laughs> you want to, <laughs> but it gets confusing because at times the tracks converge. So you've got all these universes going on and we have our primary universe that we all know and love. We have this alternate universe that we've been talking about with Beverly Howard and Jack Crusher. And then we have this other universe that's kind of like a play on the episode Yesterday's Enterprise, which I thought was really cool because, you know, you thought that that universe just kind of wiped away, but it kind of continues. So did you guys find it confusing, the alternating universes throughout the book? I can see where it would, where it could seem very confusing. And I think personally that that first chapter aside, I think Peter David does a really good job of kind of early in each chapter presenting us with little touchstones to kind of keep reminding us what's different about the universe we're in. So, you know, he'll make a point to say Dr. Howard a few times or, or mention Geordie's eyes or that, that kind of thing. And you go, Oh, right, right. Okay. Yeah. That's what's going on in this universe. So, you know, for, for a while I, I hadn't been picturing data, right. But then he described what data in this universe was, which was a humanoid, which I, I don't really like that name because we already call something else that in Star Trek. But anyway, um, but you know, for the most part, he did a really good job of kind of keeping that straight and, you know, that track A, B, C system, as well as those little hints really helped to kind of keep me on the, on the, on the, on track, I guess. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> yeah. I think so much of, well, for my recollection, like you're really in A and B and then C is sort of just peppered in and until the end, you know, when they all converge and then I was like, oh man, that yesterday's enterprise, I think that was track C that got, that gets in at the end. That's when I really had a hard time because I, I wasn't as invested with the track C because it wasn't uh, discussed as much, but that was really where I had confusion for the most part. But yeah, like you said, in the for the most part, yeah, he was really good to say, yeah, we're Jordy, like you mentioned, and, you know, Tommy. And so I knew, oh, this is that track. Oh, you know, Captain Picard instead of Commander Picard, stuff like that. So it was just sort of at the end where I got confused a bit. Yeah, there's a few times where there's a lot of Rikers running around, and I'm like, okay, wait. Well, yeah, and they're all trying, so, okay, they're trying to kill Riker, they're trying to get Worf, they're trying to get the kill the captain. They're, yeah, it was a lot of running around in my brain. Yeah, it really could have been confusing, but I think he really did do a good job of reminding you who's who. Like you said, you know, the Geordi without the visor or Commander Picard as opposed to Captain Picard and so on and so forth. I did find the Rikers to be a little confusing too, but um, it, it it's kind of fun to kind of see these different characters interact with one another from these different universes, and even they're confused. They're more confused than we are. They're trying to kill like each other, some of them. <laughs> and, you know, Worf, yeah, what's a Klingon doing here? When, you know, then they see Worf, you know, it gets, it, it, it gets crazy. So, um, what I really liked is there's a, a this Professor Martinez on the ship, and she's there looking to go, let's go see some temporal anomaly or whatever, something like that. And she, they mentioned that she's on the Enterprise because 
the Enterprise is a magnet for temporal oddities. And she starts going through even the original series and the next generation episodes of, you know, where these things have happened over time and why is it always the Enterprise? And they kind of hint that, well, because when Kirk ran into Trelane, he's been kind of messing with doing these temporal things around the Enterprises. Did I... Am I getting that right? <laughs> yeah, that's that's pretty much where they go. <laughs> so yeah, Trelane is kind of creating these temporal anomalies all over the the galaxy, I guess. And the Enterprise, it turns out, doesn't just happen to be there. It's it's yeah, kind of by design. You know, he's he's vexed by the Enterprise, I guess, and and keeps creating anomalies uh, nearby. Which, you know, I'm kind of glad they threw that in there because. You know, it does seem weird the Enterprise keeps encountering these things. And I always kind of wondered, do other starships encounter them just as often as the Enterprise? And how right. many of these things are out there? <laughs> yeah, I've often wondered that, too. It's like, if this is happening all the time to the Enterprise, how many times is it happening to these other ships? Yeah. <laughs> like, are the weekly adventures of the USS Yorktown anywhere near as exciting? Because, man, Starfleet, the, the captains just all must be insane by now. <laughs> Yeah, so can we talk about that? Because the Q and Trelane, like what you're saying, those temporal things, like to me that sort of made sense because, you know, you, you see Q on the next gen, you know, always messing around with them and stuff like that. So it sort of made sense that Trelane was doing the same thing, just sort of the fascination with humanity. And I think it even says that in the book, you know, he's like, and then in, by the end he's like, well, I'm done with these people and stuff like that. But, okay, so... Trelane destroys Q. Is that what happened? And then Q. Okay, so let. Okay, let me tell you. <laughs> so I start. I read half of the book, and while I was on vacation, so I had lots of time in the airplane and stuff like that. And so then I ha had to stop, and it was at that point where. Trelane, in my opinion, destroys Q. And so that was a stopping point. And then I had to come and start reading again and pick it up from that point. And boy, I felt completely lost. So this is my interpretation. So please correct me if I'm wrong, which I probably am. So Trelane destroys Q because Q's like Trelane's this kid, the spoiled brat, and Q's trying to rein him in and teach him about powers. And Trelane's like, no, I can do this by myself and builds this machine, which in my mind isn't a real machine, but that's just the word that they're using. And then destroys Q and Q, I guess, cannot be destroyed. So is Q the gaseous thing? And then he's trying to bring himself together to help the our Picard, Captain Picard, is that what happened? Right, yeah. So he's, um, I, I guess he's gone back to the beginning of time, I guess, I and, and is kind of as, over the eons making his way forward and kind of becoming more and more um, cohesive, I guess, or coherent. Corporal, I, I don't know. what's that word? Corporeal, yeah. Yeah, yeah. all those, all those co words <laughs> um and oh i have to say the the one thing in the in that whole sequence where he's coming forward the fact that he ends up in the galactic barrier and then he's what uh gives gary mitchell that power and you know godlike abilities and stuff 
I recently, like a couple years ago, reread the Q Continuum trilogy, and I swore that 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 was in those books because I was waiting for that. His eyes glowed, glowed with the power of Q or whatever. And I got through that whole trilogy and I was like, that never happened. What's going on? And then uh, just a few days ago reading this, like if you'd have been, you know, in the room with me when I was reading, it was just like, oh, <laughs> there it is. So I, I love that moment. Anyway, kind of digression aside, but yeah. He's no, I love of... that too. Because yeah, I think because I think he needs to get, I, wasn't he looking for a host or something? Right, yeah. yeah. And, and he ended up going through all that and b- because he's not, he can't make himself, like you say, corporeal. Um, and yeah, it takes all that time for him to get back to the time that he needs to be in to, you know, stop Trelane. I, I thought that was really cool. And I can totally understand if you stop in a certain spot that, that that's going to seem really confusing. <laughs> so Amy, you were right. Good. I was yeah, confused for a reason because it, it was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was confusing. I really liked the whole uh, Gary Mitchell thing too. And it, of course then it didn't work for Q. So, but he eventually came back and, uh, they, you know, they went at it. They started finding each other and all that other stuff. And 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 Trelane used the heart of the storm. And he's because, you know, the Q continuum, which we learn, really manages the multiverses, uh, makes us exist in the multi universes uh, to have that all work or something to that effect. It gets confusing. It really I th- does. I think the book this. just broke Bruce. <laughs> I, it did. I'm. I, I, I'm just, I'm I'm done, <laughs> done. Um, so okay. I don't know if there's anything about multiverses that we want to continue, but uh, I'd like to then go into any things that you thought were pretty funny because you know, Q can be funny and so can Trelane and Peter David definitely writes some funny things. Anything stand out to you guys? Well, for me, I think one of the earliest ones, and it's 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 kind of so over the top that it's totally ridiculous, but. I'm loving it is when Trelane makes the Winnie the Pooh characters <laughs> come alive in the classroom. And I was, I was racking my brain trying to think of like all of the copyright entanglements that would happen if this were a televised episode or if they, you know, actually mentioned who these characters were kind of thing. Um, but man, I, I kind of had a hard time visualizing the Winnie the Pooh characters coming to life. What did you guys think of that part? <laughs> Were you picturing Disney Winnie the Pooh? Oh yeah, yeah. Like it was it was the full on it was the full on like Disney version of Tigger bouncing around the room and and all that stuff. <laughs> yeah, I'd forgotten about that. But yeah, that was exactly what I was picturing. Uh and with his little honey pot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think this is our first Star Trek with a honey pot. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um yeah, I I I had forgotten about that too, but that that was a little odd to think <laughs> picture Winnie the Pooh on the Enterprise. Um oh bother. So <laughs> the other thing I liked was uh I guess it was, yeah, Trelane sent Zap Jordy into Troy's shower, and Troy just happened to be there. Um, Very awkward moment, but that's okay, because Jordy's blind. (laughs) But, but, you know, Troy did scream. (laughs) 
but Troy was cool about it later. It, it was just a little I funny know. Story. It was mm-hmm. so funny. I I thought it was hilarious. <laughs> and yeah, they both handled it well. It was like, yeah, very awkward. And you know, Jordy's like, I didn't see anything. Well, he's got the visor. We know he saw it all, you know. It, it was funny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but do you really see a naked body through the visor or is it something different, you know? I, I that's something I guess I have to ask Jordy himself. Yes. <laughs> I do have to say the one part of that that I vividly remembered from reading this as a kid was when uh, Jordy and Troy have the discussion in the turbo lift afterwards. And he's like, oh, a uh, counselor. And she's like, yep. And he's like, in his brain, he's like, what are you doing Friday? Never mind. <laughs> it's just like, oh, that's so great. <laughs> yeah, he's actually thinking of asking her out. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I could picture myself in that same situation. Then like, Ah, never mind. <laughs> nope. <laughs> so, Dan, what did you think about Trelane being a child? You mentioned this earlier. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, this is, you know, a, a theme that comes up in Star Trek a lot, and especially in the original series. And that's how that original Squire of Gothos episode ended. Of course, he's he's threatening Kirk and he's going to kill Kirk and Trelane's parents show up and say, Trelane, you know, how many times have we told you you don't don't kill lesser life forms and, you know, go to your room? And he's like, no, but I wanted to play. <laughs> and, you know, that, that kind of idea of an omnipotent being or somebody with great power that has immaturity and lack of control, I think is a really interesting um, story. And we see that also in Charlie X in the original series. Like, this is kind of a theme that that gets played with a lot. I th- I feel like I, I kind of want to get your thoughts on this too. I almost feel like it's like a metaphor for, you know, puberty and growing up and like getting greater responsibility and ability to alter your world, but not having the maturity to deal with it. And I think, you know, even though this is that same story played out again, it just that that ending tantrum by Trelane just really drives that point home where you know, he realizes he's done for. And of course, spoilers for this book, we're, we're spoiling the whole book. He gets run through by the sword and the sword is actually Q and he realizes that it's the end. And he backpedals just like he did in the classic episodes. Like, I was just playing, you know, I just wanted to play. It wasn't serious. But, you know, he'd killed all these people and, and set all these events in motion. And I just, I, I really like that idea. It's It's well-trod ground in Star Trek, but... You know, it it feels like there's a very important metaphor at the heart of it because we keep coming back to that, you know, that idea of of someone with unlimited power, but not the maturity to handle it, you know? Yeah, I'm glad you brought up Charlie X because there is a lot of similarities to that whole tantrum thing. I mean, even Charlie X, you could argue maybe he's something associated with the Q continuum. I I don't even know. Maybe there has been something written about that. I I don't recall. But um, it's really disturbing to me when you see adults or older characters having tantrums. (laughs) You know, it's (laughs) like, yeah, it's playing that whole immaturity. But and, and the fact that something like a big entity like that, you would think would be so wise, but the fact that it can be childish and not really get things i mean you would almost imagine that a q continuum being would know all that Mm -hmm. there's so much knowledge 
that they would know how to handle it and know and be mature right away. But to be still a child, that's a dangerous position to be in, to have that much power and be childish and have tantrums. That's scary. I think Mm -hmm. I know some world leaders that fall into this category now that I think about it. Um, So, and it's very dangerous. So, Mm -hmm immaturity is definitely something that has been a topic of a lot of Star Trek stories. Yeah. And I I kind of almost feel like that might be the lesson or part of the lesson at the heart of this is that, you know, when you have a lot of power over a lot of people, you may just naturally assume that you have the maturity to deal with that and to be wise. But, you know, Maybe you control the destiny of millions and maybe you've invented the atomic bomb, but, you know, you might not still have the maturity to be able to make the wise decisions that go along with that. So, you know, I'm I'm wondering if there's something there. Maybe I'm reading too much into it, but, you know, it just it kind of struck a chord with me there. Yeah, I think what you're saying is just spot on. And I do remember Charlie X. I do like that one. And so I'm relating to what you're saying. And it's just typical Star Trek that, you know, taking this, you know, growing up story, putting it in a futuristic or, you know, this science fiction of, yeah, how do we mature and when we're given such great power, what do we do with it? And I just, it, it seems like if I were to put it in to my life, like, as I mentioned, I'm a teacher. And so I expect parents to behave a certain way. They have been given this great amount of power and control over, you know, another human being. And when I see some parents abusing that power and not taking on that responsibility and throwing temper tantrums literally in front of me, it just, it's so sad. And it's like, wait a minute, you, you have been given this responsibility and power over another human being, you know, and so grow up and how do we grow up and stuff like that? So I did, I think you're spot on with that, that it is just a coming of age and ways that we can, you know, behave well or behave poorly. Well, speaking of power, I'm going to give Amy some power right now to give us her review, her final thoughts on Q Squared. Well, I thoroughly enjoyed this book. It was so much fun. I um, started reading quite a bit. It was actually in uh, 2002. There wasn't... uh, I had a library and they had an entire section of just Star Trek books. It was only so, and I wasn't familiar with the author, so I wouldn't have been able to find them if they were by author, but it was all this section of Star Trek books. And I just started devouring and reading these books and books and books. And, and, but I haven't done that for 10 plus years. So reading this book, it really sparked that love and passion that, oh my gosh, it's, this is bringing me back to Star Trek. And Peter David has mentioned just does such a great job with the characters that it's like Star Trek hasn't ended. And I I really enjoyed this book, sometimes a little confusing, um, but that's what Star Trek is. So I highly recommend this book. I really enjoyed it. Awesome. 
I'm glad you said that. I'm glad first time on Literary Treks and you enjoyed the book. <laughs> That's always a good yes. sign. <laughs> so if you're going to rate like on a scale, oh, what would you? Goodness. Um, well, knowing that I like Peter David, um, he's going to be up there pretty much um, higher than most. And again, I haven't read books for so long. So um, I give it a Q squared. Ha, ha, ha. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> nice answer. Very nice. <laughs> Excellent. Well, I, I think my feelings on this book have been made fairly clear over the course of this podcast. And I do have to say, after you know having read it so many years later, it hasn't lost anything. Uh, for me, I absolutely love this book. I think Peter David has this really wonderful ability to just you know, make ideas and situations leap off the page and into the brain of the reader because, you know, it's such a visual book and there's so much going on. And, and I just, I love visualizing what's going on in the story so much, you know, it, it's such a fun story. Uh, very dark in some places, darker than I think I remembered it being, but, you know, a really, really great story, very compelling with characters that I love. I love Trelane as a kid and uh, Q of course is a favorite. So this putting them together was a lot of fun. And if I had to rate this novel, I think it would be five out of five mirrors, but they're all facing each other. So they kind of reflect, you know, a lot more mirrors and in each mirror, everything's just slightly different, but it's just a lot of mirrors. It's mirrors all the way down. I, I love this book. I like wow, it. Two, two big reviews here of <laughs> loving the book. So, should I ruin this whole experience right now? Come on, Bruce. Three I for think three. Not. No. Uh-oh. <laughs> it's going to be three for three. I'm definitely giving this book a honey pot full of honey to the brim. <laughs> very fulfilling, very full, very sweet. Love this book. I would like to read it again. It's just definitely a page turner. The characters are spot on. It's always having you guessing. I love seeing a merge between something from the original series and the next generation. And like I said, I've always loved Peter David's books. Doesn't mean I love all of them. I think I do, though. But I do love this book. So (laughs) I think we can all give it three thumbs up. We can. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> excellent not sure how but yeah we can well, do that we'll we'll figure a way there's some universe where you have three That's thumbs right. i think my mirrors might come oh in yes handy here. perfect <laughs> wow so yeah i have to say that's pretty unanimous i think all of us very similar feelings about this book and i mean that makes me so happy this book that i've loved since i was a kid I have to admit, part of me in the back of my mind, I was like, oh, what if they hate it? What if I'm the only one that loves this book? But no, we all love it. So very happy about that. Yeah. And I'm happy that Amy was here to join us to go through the I book. I am yeah. so happy to be on Literary Treks. And just thank you. Thank you so much for having me on. It was a pleasure. We simply must do this again sometime. We are. That's <laughs> what's so great. Yay! Because, Dan, you know, you mentioned the three Q Continuum books. We're going to do those. Excellent, excellent. Yes, I have those. Yes, I have those. And I'm very uh, looking forward to reading them. (laughs) You'll be like the cue of literary tricks. You just show up every once in a while and, 
you know, give away free stuff and and <laughs> and talk about you know your Q tips on comics. Yes, very well done. <laughs> that was really bad, wasn't it? Wow, that was bad. Uh, the the Q quality is going downhill. Uh, love it. Oh, okay, that was bad Boy. too. Oh All my right. god. Well, okay. <laughs> well, it's been fun talking about Q today, but. This isn't the only thing we've been discussing on the network, so here's a quick look at some of the other things you may have missed elsewhere on Trek FM. Previously on Trek.FM, Standard Orbit. And Jim Carrey, as they're fighting, he's like singing along. He's like, bruh, bruh. <laughs> as he's fighting, he's singing along as he's fighting Matthew Broderick. And uh, man, it's just so good. Like To me, that's like, when I think of Star Trek and pop culture, like that is the one, that's the first scene that I think of in, in the cable guy there. Warp 5. They never really do say what sport it is, right? We just assume it's baseball because he said doubleheader. Well, he went to a baseball game with her, didn't he? said baseball. I think game, he I said think. baseball in Doylestown earlier. So. Yeah. Oh, uh, well. All right. Well, sorry, writers. You messed that one up then. This is too, I don't even want to do this commentary anymore. Let's switch it to <laughs> My whole life is a lie. The 602 Club. That's one thing I was very surprised about this book is that when he does whatever mission it is that he's on, which maybe destroying a mind or something or destroying even a ship that he is doing everything he can to make sure no one is losing a life during this that he's trying to do it in a way that people are not going to die or at least a mass amount of people aren't going to die and you would think when you think of the empire it's like they don't care the ready room this is lieutenant (laughs) stamets a science officer specializing in astromycology, which is the study of fungi in space. Fungi in space! <laughs> exactly. And I'm picturing the ship looks like a giant fungus. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. Check out all these shows and join the conversation about your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe and beyond. You'll find us wherever you get your podcasts. If you're an Apple user, please be sure to hit that subscribe button in Apple Podcasts on iPhone, iPad, or Apple TV, or the desktop iTunes app to get the latest episodes as soon as they're published. Hitting that subscribe button and leaving us a star rating and a written review really help us rise up in the search results and make it easy for Star Trek fans to find the podcast. If you're not an Apple user, we've got you covered as well. You can find our shows on Google Play Music, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spreaker, SoundCloud, Windows Windows Phone, in most third-party apps, and you can stream and download the MP3 file from our website or grab the RSS link there as well. If you'd like to help us keep our shows coming to you each week, you can become a patron of the network on Patreon. Visit patreon.com slash trekfm. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Trek FM to get all the details. Perks include early access to episodes, exclusive content, producer credits, and more available through our special Patreon's website, Patreon Zone. It requires a great deal of money to produce, host, and distribute these shows each month. So we really appreciate any support you can give us and hope that you'll join the team again. You'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. We'd also love to hear your thoughts on today's show, and there are many ways for you to do that. The best place to join in the larger conversation is the Babel Conference, our listeners group on Facebook. Just type Babel, that's B-A-B-E-L, into the search field on Facebook, and it should come right up. 
If you'd like to send us an email, you can use the form on our website at trek.fm contact. Choose to send to a show and select Literary Treks. That will come straight to us. You can also find the network on Twitter at TrekFM and on Facebook at facebook.com slash TrekFM. We're the only show on TrekFM that has a Goodreads group. So please find us on Goodreads where we're discussing the books. We show you what books we've read, what books we're currently reading, and the future books we're going to read on upcoming episodes. So just search Literary Treks on Goodreads and click Join Group and we'll let you right into the group. And we'd like to thank our associate producers, Ken Tripp, Greg Rosier, and Brandon Shane Matala for their support of the Trek FM network and being associate producers here for Literary Treks as well. So, Amy, when you're not visualizing Winnie the Pooh characters in your dreams, where can people find you? Well, you can find me on Twitter at Miss Amy Nelson, but my favorite place is to hang out at the Babel Conference. So you can find me there. Oh, and you can find me on Earl Grey. I'm not used to saying that. So you can tune in and listen to a Next Generation podcast. And Dan, when you're not having temper tantrums, where can people find you? Oh, you stole mine. <laughs> <laughs> well, Bruce, you can find me on Facebook. I'm on facebook.com slash Productions. That's K-E-R-T-R-A-T-S. I'm on Twitter at Kurtratz and on YouTube at youtube.com slash Productions. And you can always find me in the Babel Conference talking about Star Trek. And Bruce, when you're not exploring holographic hedge mazes looking for that darned Klingon, where can we find you? Oh my gosh, we didn't talk about that. <laughs> and, 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 oh my gosh, yeah, that was pretty cool. Uh, Worf is trapped in a maze, <laughs> running through a holodeck. But uh, you can find me on Twitter at Admiral underscore Rex. And you can find me talking Star Wars on the Star Wars Report podcast. You go to StarWarsReport.com. And uh, you can find me there with Riley Blanton and Mark Herleman. And, of course, you can find me in the Babel Conference as well, especially talking about this new trailer for Star Trek Discovery. Yes, I'm so excited. (laughs) (laughs) So thanks, everyone, for listening. Until next time, live long and read on. You call that light reading? To each his own, number one.